More than a million kids in Ontario weren't in school today as the province continued its standoff with the union representing some 55,000 education workers. We talked about this on the show last night, earlier this week as well. Yesterday, the Ford government did indeed pass legislation which imposed a new contract on those workers, which include educational assistants, administrative staff, custodians, and so forth, and declared any strike action illegal, invoking the notwithstanding clause of the Canadian Constitution to avoid that being challenged in court. Now, ultimately, the Canadian Union of Public Employees, or QP, told the province it didn't matter. Members would walk out anyway, so today they did. They picketed at Queen's Park in front of the legislature. They picketed in front of politicians' offices across the province, and they're getting support from several other unions, including several that backed Doug Ford's Conservatives in the recent election. Laura Walton, president of QP's Ontario School Board Council of Unions, was among the protesters in front of Education Minister Stephen Lecce's office today, calling on the province to return to negotiations, saying the protests and the strike will continue if that doesn't happen. The plan for today is to be out at as many of these picket lines where all of these amazing workers are, where all of these amazing supports are, where all of these amazing parents and kids are, to stand up and say to this government, we're done. You cannot rip away the rights of workers and expect that we're just going to take it sitting down. So what is the battle about? Well, for the striking workers, it is about really earning a fair wage, according to them. Uh, The union reportedly lowered their demand to about a 6% raise. It had been around 11%. The province imposed contract is 2% for those above $43,000 a year, 2.5% per year for those below that. But keep in mind, these workers have been on a wage freeze for quite a while. The cost of living is obviously higher than 2% or 2.5% right now. So really, they're working for less. Every year, they work for a little bit less money or a little bit less take-home money, uh, if you think about it that way. Meantime, the province took the fight to the Ontario Labour Relations Board today, seeking to have the strike declared illegal and the actions by union leaders to encourage the job action declared unlawful. So this has really quickly turned into a real battle a real war. And uh, part of the reason for that is that there are several other public sector unions in Ontario negotiating new contracts with the government. So this has become sort of, uh, you know, where each side is planting their flag. It's caught up in all the middle of it, of course, are kids out of school once again after a few disruptive years, uh, very disruptive years, and parents left wondering what's next. Last night, we spoke with mother of two and early childhood educator, Bronwyn Alsop. Here's what she had to say. Finally, thinking as a parent that we're walking into a normal school year for them to have a glimpse of normalcy and, you know, their future. When my daughter came to me and she said, Mommy, carry my backpack for me. I have my Chromebook. I broke down. Uh, she didn't see me cry. Uh, I had sunglasses on, but it hit me so hard because I feel like we're right back where we were before. A tough time for parents and kids today. The uncertainty of it all as well. Joining me now is Charles Smith. He's an associate professor at the University of Saskatchewan, co-author of Unions and Court, A History of the Labour Movement's Engagement with the Charter. Thanks for your time tonight. No problem. Nice to be here, Ben. So this is, I mean, it it really turned into this kind of all-out war very quickly. But if you look at the union side of things, uh, and I hate the term existential, but I'm going to use it anyway in this one. Like, this is really a battle for what, fundamentally matters to these unions right oh absolutely i mean when you look at the canadian labor force uh you know the decline union density has declined in the last 30 years but where it's remained strong and where the canadian labor movement is strong is in the public sector almost 70 percent of the unionized workforce in canada is in the public sector 
Uh, and, you know, this this uh, heavy handed action by the Ford government um, essentially, you know, imposes it's, there are two things happening. One is they've imposed, you know, pretty sweeping back to work legislation, which is pretty common in Canada, at least in the last 30 years. But it's also uh, imposed a contract and blocked the union from being able to appeal it in court by using the notwithstanding clause. And that became important in 2015 when the Supreme Court ruled that there was a collective right to strike in the charter. And governments that have tried these tactics have ended up paying uh, quite a bit of money uh, for taking away those rights. And that happened in B.C. and it's happened in Ontario. And, you know, it was very possible we could have seen that here. So the Ford government has blocked all of those avenues and really said, we're not bargaining and we're not letting you withdraw your labor. Uh, you have to take this contract. And for unions, I mean, that is the bread and butter of what unions do. And it really is. I think the existential crisis is not uh, uncalled for here. I think that's a good way of describing it. Yeah. So what happens now? Because it looks like both sides have dug in. Um, if the whole point for the province of Ontario was to keep kids in school, well, that's failed. And it feels like they've sort of set up future negotiations because a lot of public sector unions in Ontario and elsewhere, for that matter, who are negotiating contracts right now with one eye on recent wage freezes and another eye on the cost of living increases. This feels like we're entering a time of some real serious labor unrest here if governments such as the Ford government decide they're going to, you know, put a line in the sand and, and not move. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's not uncommon that when we see periods of high inflation, we see periods of high labor conflict. So that's actually following a fairly, you know, consistent historical pattern. But in this particular case, I think what the Florida government is doing is they're drawing a line in the sand with wage increases that were more common during periods of low interest rates uh, that are not addressing the cost of living, as your introduction said. Uh, but we're also seeing this attack on collective bargaining and making it possible for workers to sort of address that, the, the, the core issue. So I think you're absolutely right. And where we go from here, well, that's a good question. The bill has co- closed down all avenues for appeal to court or to the labor board or for arbitration or for conciliation. So the only real avenue labor has left is to, um, you know, defy the law, which is what they're essentially doing. So now, you know, the sides are, are dug in over this, this question of legality uh, but, you know, in, in, you know, in the context, the Ford government changed the law in the middle of the debate. So, it, you know, the, the law becomes itself challenged. Um, so we have that happening as well. And the Ford government's also got its eye on the collective agreements of the teachers and the broader public service, which are all coming due in the next year or two. Uh, and I think part of the reason they're taking this hard line is they don't want to open their pocketbooks for one union, knowing that other unions will want to sort of match that. So I think there's, you know, that's probably part of the broader, broader question as well. Yeah. And what kind of impact? I mean, we'll talk about this. uh, I I want to talk more at length about what this means in other parts of the country, because I'm sure all other provinces are having a look at what's going on here to see exactly how this how this unfolds. Um, But they're going to have to sit down and talk at some point. I mean, uh, this can't be this can't drag on for months and months and months. This is clearly what neither side wants here. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's made it almost impossible for the unions to do that because if they stay out on the picket line, the, the legislation will find them at half a million dollars a day, $4,000 a day per picketer. I mean, it would get in the hundreds of millions of dollars per day. And if the province is insisting on collecting that, I mean, the union can hold out for a little bit, but it's going to be very difficult for them to maintain a long strike if the union, or sorry, if the government is wants to collect on those fines, um, which is a question mark because... Whenever there's a public sector strike, Ben, there's always three parties, right? There's the union, there's the government, and then there's the public. And we know that the public is... Yeah, yeah, and the public, I mean, the public is probably divided on this, just like there are in all all disputes. There are parents, just like your guest from last night, who is very concerned, and there are parents who are like, listen, I'm really concerned about the quality of my education, and paying these workers poorly is not going to help 
with the quality of education. So you're going to have that kind of debate happening in the broader public as well. And how public opinion falls on this question will guide the parties, right? Um, but I think you're right. At some point, they're going to have to come back to the table and sit down. I mean, QP did, um, you know, cut their wage demand in half in the last week. Uh, that is how collective bargaining is supposed to work. Uh, the government refused to listen to that. Uh, I mean, the ability to strike is part of the collective bargaining process. The threat of withdrawing your labor uh, is uh, what pushes people to come to an agreement or to lock out. So, you know, the Ford government really closed that avenue very early in the process. And, you know, even though they've been bargaining for months, you know, collective agreements usually come down to the wire uh, or at least close to it. Uh, that's part of the process, too. So the last week has been wasted with this posturing. Um, and I think both sides are suffering for it. And it's really too bad because this could have been avoided with uh, negotiations taken, taken seriously. So that is a question mark. And then I think you're right, the broader issues around the country. Happy to get into that as well. Bill 28 is a catastrophe for rights and freedoms. This catastrophe could leak outside of Ontario and across Canada. That was Noah Mendelson Aviv. She's with the Canadian Civil Liberties Association speaking yesterday about Bill 28, which is in fact the bill that uh, the government of Ontario passed to force uh, 55,000 education workers back to work. They instead walked off the job today. Um, I'm speaking with Charles Smith. He's an associate professor at the University of Saskatchewan and co-author of Unions in Court, a history of the labor movement's engagement with the charter. Um, how might this spill out of Ontario? I'm sure other lots of governments uh, know they have to negotiate with their public sector unions, that the wage demands may not be what they want to see. Um, how do you think this could spill outside Ontario's borders? Yeah, it's a really good question, Ben. Uh, you know, we know that governments of all political stripes uh, have used back-to-work legislation in the past, uh, specifically in the 80s and 90s, like with some intensity. It's tailored off a little bit, but still fairly common. You know, the federal liberals have used it. The federal conservatives have used it. So we know this is a tool governments use. But one of the one of the one of the things that government unions have been able to do is push back against that in court and not being able to do that in this case. If the Ford government is successful, if public opinion comes down on their side. Uh, or if they win, uh, you can guarantee that other governments, probably conservative governments, but perhaps liberal New Democrats ones as well, will be looking at their public service negotiations. And if the unions are asking for what they see as too much money or too few, too, too you know too generous a benefit, um, what would stop them from doing that? And I guess the slippery slope argument, right? The slippery slope is that if the use of the notwithstanding clause to uh, block people from challenging legislation in court becomes normalized as it seems to be becoming more normalized. And I think we can be as critical of Doug Ford as we can of the Legault government in Quebec, which used it to take away the rights of minorities in the public service and, and other ways. Um, if that becomes more normalized, then I think we start seeing a slippery slope of some of the rights and freedoms that are protected by the charter uh, that, you know, I think raises a lot of concern. So I think there's two answers to your questions. We can see it more common in labor negotiations, which will undermine the ability of public sector workers to bargain and strike. And we could see it become normalized with governments that want to do some pretty nasty things uh, to erode our, our rights and freedoms. And that, I think, is, is a real concern. Right. And of course, part of the problem here all along has been politics. The fact that uh, Francois Legault uh, and Quebec have been allowed or not allowed, but at least sort of tacitly allowed to use the notwithstanding clause in this way to circumvent the charter uh, has given the nod, the green light to other governments to do it. I mean, if you're Doug Ford and you look at what Quebec did, you think, well, why not? You know, why not? I don't want to, I don't want yeah. to fight this in court. Why wouldn't I do this, right? Um, well, this is it, the third time he's used it. Sorry, to, sorry yeah. Ben, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you, but it's the not third at all. time Go ahead. the Ford government. The third time the Ford government has used the notwithstanding clause. Uh, they did it for municipal elections. They did it for 
city hall, election spending city hall during size. election. And now, right. I'm sorry? Yeah. For the city hall size and then for the election spending, yeah. yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he is normalizing it, and, uh, you know, that that is the concern in and of itself. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I apologize. No, not at all. No, I was, uh, about, to, I was about to, I was getting to the question there at some point. I guess the, the, the real question is here now, if it's being abused, uh, in a, or being used, I should say, in a way that it wasn't intended to, and that's up for debate to some extent. There aren't many options here, are there, for, for inc- other than public opinion saying you can't do this, which I guess that we come back now to Ontario and what you, the point you were making before we went to the break. Public opinion is really going to matter here because if the public stands up and says you can't do this to the Ford government, even though they have a huge majority, uh, that may yeah. chill other governments from doing the same. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think when you look at the, the construction of the charter and, and the usage or the, the inclusion of this of this section, which was quite controversial even at the time, uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau and both both him and Brian Mulroney didn't agree on much, uh, Ben, but they both did not like this section. But it was a compromise uh, for uh, provinces that were concerned that in exceptional circumstances, the co- a conservative court or reactionary court might undermine provincial rights in some way or the collective freedoms that, of health care or something. I mean, that was sort of the argument at the time that it would be rare and exceptional. And the normalization of it has to be concerning for Canadians of all political stripes. Uh, I mean, that really was never the intention of it. If you look at the framing and the founding of the charter, um, that's not what it was ever used for. So for the Ford government, I think, is going to be a, a bit of a test case here because it's so controversial and it's so public right now. And you've got, you know, in the balance, the fate of, of public education in the immediate, um, you know, in the immediate conflict. Um, no, there's a re- this, is a re- these are re- this is really high stakes poker. The Ford government is playing with the public and the union, and it's not clear who's going to come out on top. And I think your, your initial question was right. It has to be solved at the bargaining table. And right now, the sides are so far apart, it's hard to imagine bargaining happening uh, in good faith at this exact moment. Well, Charles Smith, thank you so much for your insight on this tonight. I appreciate it. You bet, Ben. Anytime. Nice to talk to you. 911. 911. What's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship. Ah, there was an explosion. Oh, my God. The ship is sinking. I can't get out. There's water everywhere. We're going down. I've got a lock on your location. Stay with me. Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.